Thank you, team, for leading us. Uh, 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 welcome to you all this morning. If you are new or a visitor or a guest of someone, uh, we're really thankful that you've decided to join us as we, as we worship Jesus together. And as you can hear throughout our song together, uh, we come together each week because Jesus has done something in history. That in the person of Jesus, God took on flesh and stepped onto a cross in order to demonstrate God's profound love for us. That while we were still sinners, Jesus, the Son of God, took our sin upon the cross and died so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And it's a story that, that when you see it, when, when you enter into it, it changes everything. And my prayer this morning is that, that as we continue on, as, as I preach a sermon, that, that you would be overcome with the love of Jesus for you, because it changes everything. It leads to worship. Uh, when I was uh, in seminary uh, a number of years ago, it's actually a long time ago, I, I feel like I'm getting old. Uh, when I was doing full-time seminary, I was also uh, full-time working at the cancer agency in Vancouver. And oh, to have the energy of a 20-year-old year old again. Like, I can't even get my words out. When you're 45, it just starts to happen, and it's like downhill. But I worked at the cancer agency when I was uh, studying uh, to become a pastor, and it made for some really interesting conversations with my colleagues uh, because they knew that I was studying to be a, a pastor. And I remember one conversation in particular with a radiation oncologist named Barry. Now, Barry grew up in Catholic Ireland, and he attended the local Catholic school there, and, and I got the sense that, that Barry was interested in God, but he was disillusioned with the church. It's a common story. And well, on this particular day, Barry uh, was telling me a story about his best friend in school and how his friend was a real troublemaker and he would make all this kind of trouble for the nuns that were teaching the class. And I thought in that moment, I would really like to meet this kid. I think that I would really enjoy hearing his stories. And, and Barry told me uh, about his friend that one day he made a statement that got him kicked out of religion class. And it was a statement that had stuck with Barry for over 40 years. His friend stood up in the middle of the class, looked right at the nun, pointed to her and said, God might be real, but there's no good reason why I should worship him. You can imagine he was sent out into the hall. <laughs> and Barry looked at me seriously and he asked, Keith, even if I believe in God, why on earth should I worship him? I wonder how you would have answered that question. When Barry asked me, my, my mind was buzzing, right? Searching for the answer, searching for that answer. You know, the, the one where Barry falls on his knees in that moment. He receives Christ and he's baptized at the water cooler just round the corner. <laughs> I was searching for that answer. And that's not quite how it went, of course. I, I gave him an answer that day for sure, but, but I don't think I really answered his question. You see, the answer that I gave him, my answer, it didn't satisfy the question that his soul had been asking for years and years and years. You see, I can tell you why I worship God, but I cannot convince you why you should worship him, because worship doesn't work that way. We don't worship an idea or a concept. We don't worship a, a religion. Christians 
worship a person. We worship a God who is personal and relational. He exists in relationship in him, his very self. That God is, is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We worship God who has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Which means that, that our Christian worship, it flows from a personal encounter with a personal God. And without that encounter, there is no Christian worship. There is only empty religion. And this morning, we turn to a text that helps us understand the nature of, of our worship as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Him. So turn with me to a text that might be familiar to you. I actually preached on it uh, about a year ago. But it's so good, it's, it's so important that we take it up again. Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. Turn with me to Luke 7. It's on page 717 on the Pew Bible, uh, or you can find it in your device. Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. Hear the word of the Lord. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. When she wiped them with her hair, kissed, uh, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, and she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, if worship is a personal encounter with a personal God, I pray this morning as we sit under your word that you would lead us to worship. 
through your Holy Spirit. Amen. I, I can picture the scene of that day in my mind, in my imagination. Simon was a prominent leader in the community of faith. He was a leader in matters of worship, to be precise. And Jesus was in town, and somehow Simon landed a dinner date with Jesus. And I imagine the evening playing, as I imagined it in my mind, I imagine Simon preparing for Jesus' visit. Now, the text doesn't say this, but, but I picture Simon wanting to impress his guest of honor that day. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's what we would have done. Jesus was a big deal. There were rumors swirling about all the things that he was doing. And so I imagine Simon uh, going about setting his house in order. I imagine him having his house swept and, 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 and tidied and arranging for the choicest cuts of meat to be served and, and the fine wine to be put out. I see him calling for, for the good dinnerware to be used that night and for new candles to be lit on the table. Can you imagine the scene? Simon is entertaining Jesus. And it strikes me that that's sometimes how we approach worship. Polite, polished, customary, like we're entertaining a dinner guest. Sometimes we come to a worship service, and, and worship is more than a service, but sometimes we come to a worship service thinking that we need to have it all together, or at the very least, we need to look like we have it all together. And I mean for Simon, think about this, for Simon, Jesus was in the room, the Son of God, was in the room, the one who in the beginning, with God the Father and, and with God the Holy Spirit, they dreamed Simon into existence. This Jesus, the light of the world, was in the room, but if I'm imagining right, Simon is distracted by the details of, of this impressive dinner party, and he's preoccupied with his own agenda, with what he wants to accomplish. And I wonder if that's sometimes how we enter into worship. I know I do at times. Even though Jesus is in the room, we're preoccupied or distracted. Or, or on the flip side, we're politely trying to impress someone that doesn't need impressing. And I wonder when you think about your own worship, what word would you use to describe it? So Simon invites Jesus for dinner. And by all accounts, in that moment, everything is in order. Everything is in its place. Everything is running smoothly, the way it was meant to be. And then it happened. She entered the room. Worship entered the room. The text doesn't tell us her name, but let's be honest, a woman like her is usually labeled, not named. We're only told that she lived a sinful life, which in, in, in this context was code word for prostitute. She was that woman. 
that woman from town, the subject of whispers and the object of stares. She's not the person that you would expect to find at a religious leader's dinner party. And she walks straight through the door, through the whispers, through the stairs. She falls at Jesus' feet and she weeps. She weeps what I can only imagine are, are tears of great pain, but also tears of great joy. And then she wipes Jesus' dusty feet with her tears in her hair. She kisses his feet. and She begins to pour perfume over them. Jesus is in the room, and she's anything but polite. She doesn't play by the rules. She makes a scene. She, she's nothing like Simon. See, worship isn't simply something that happens in a sanctuary. It can break out in the middle of a religious person's dinner party. And here's a woman. When Jesus is in the room, she worships. She's nothing like Simon. And the deep irony in the story is, is that the one who should have got it didn't get it. The expert in matters of worship was in the presence of the living God, but, but he was merely entertaining a dinner guest. But the expert in matters done in the dark, she falls at Jesus' feet and she radiates worship. It takes your breath away. Sometimes those who think that they're closer to God are the ones who miss him completely. Or, at the very least, it's us who are most at risk of forgetting what matters most to the Lord when it comes to our worship of him. And because of that, sometimes our worship in time, it, it becomes rote. It becomes ritual, a, a ritual, a going through the motions. It's, it's an exercise in missing the point. And what we all need from time to time is for that woman to enter into our church and to teach us what worship really is. I remember a few years ago uh, on Easter Sunday, as we sang together, uh, and as we were singing, it was, it was a beautiful moment in, in worship. Uh, and, and I prayed, and, and as I was praying, I, I was praying, Lord, I want to see a greater picture of heaven. <laughs> So you can imagine, we're, we're, we're singing our hearts out to the Lord, we're worshiping, and, and, and in that moment I pray this prayer, Lord, I want to see a greater picture of heaven. And as we sing and as I prayed, there was this voice of, of a woman coming from over my shoulder. And it's like I could hear every word that she was singing, because her song was coming from this deep place from within her. Her voice was coarse, you might even say ugly. But every word sounded beautiful. Beautiful because it was raw. It was, it was honest. It, it came from a real place. And every note that was coming from her mouth, it, it really carried me in worship. It, it was like her song to Jesus was this wind that was filling my sail and moving me closer to God. It was an amazing experience. And as she sang, of course, I couldn't resist <laughs> I had to turn around. I, I had to look to see who this worshiper was. And so I did. And when I turned, I, I recognized this woman. She doesn't come to this church. She, she isn't from Kelowna, but I knew her from a church in my past. And she's a woman that, that doesn't always fit in with the church people around her. She doesn't look like them. She, 
She rides a motorcycle and she wears leather chaps and a jean jacket and her hair is cut short. And from her past, I knew a good deal of her story. I knew the trauma of her past. I, I knew that she had made some pretty big mistakes in her life. I, I, I knew that she had a wife at some point. I knew she struggled with addiction. And I knew that she had encountered the profound love of Jesus through people at our church, and Jesus changed her life. And so you get the scene. It's Easter Sunday, and, and we're singing, and I'm praying, Lord, I want to see a picture of heaven, a greater picture of heaven. And when I turn, I see that woman. <laughs> a picture of heaven. A once down and out, broken, lesbian biker <laughs> who is finding wholeness in Jesus. She hasn't figured it out yet, but Jesus is meeting her in a way where, where she is finding wholeness and life, and every word from her lips is worship on Easter Sunday morning. Once down and out, now down on her knees, giving every breath to God. And what we all need from time to time is for that woman to enter our church and to teach us what worship really is. But the question is, are, are we willing to learn from someone like that? From someone like her? From someone like the woman at this dinner party? I've read this scripture many times, and, and I've always wondered how this woman got through the front door. Have you ever wondered that? You read the story, and you're like, how on earth does someone just break into a dinner party? It's like wedding crashers uh, all over again here. I mean, how does an uninvited guest get through the door and crash a, a dinner party like this? Well, it's helpful to understand that there was this custom in, in the day where, where the needy were allowed to enter a banquet in order to receive some of the leftover food. And so this woman was likely uh, here. Uh, she was led in as part of this group that is there to, to get something, to, to get food. But notice in the story, the woman isn't there to get something. Rather, she's there to give something. She has this alabaster jar of perfume. She comes with a gift, not a request. She comes with a gift not a request. It's another thing she teaches us about worship. That worship is something that we give back to God. Yes, there are times when we come to Jesus with a request, where we ask Him for something. Of course there are times. There are times when we need a fresh touch for our soul, and God loves it when we come to Him with our need. But mark this church, the foundation of Christian worship isn't in what we get from God, but what we give to Him. Worship is what happens after we have received God's grace. It's, it, it's the gift we offer for the gifts He has already given. But the challenge for us is we often don't enter uh, into worship thinking that we're here to give God a gift, do we? That slips our mind. We're more inclined to enter worship looking for something. 
whether it's the kind of songs or, 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 or a type of sermon or, or, or a fix or, 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 or wisdom, and God gives us these things, but we often enter into worship looking for something from God rather than giving something to God. But this woman is teaching us something different. She's teaching us about the importance of our offering, of our gift. She reminds us that when we come to worship, we would do well to prepare our hearts and consider what we're bringing to Jesus, what we want to offer to Him. What are you bringing to Jesus this morning? What is your gift? What is your offering? And so the woman arrives at the dinner party with a gift to give. It's this jar of perfume. And and sometimes when the story is explained, it's explained and we make a big deal about how expensive this jar of perfume would have been. It would have been expensive. And it's the idea that, that this woman comes with an extravagant gift for the extravagant love that Jesus has shown her. And that's all well and good. That's at play in the story. But I think there's more to the gift than that. You see, it was common for prostitutes to wear a small jar of perfume around their neck for obvious reasons. And some scholars suggest that her gift is an act of repentance. That The woman comes with a gift that says, Jesus, I'm giving you my old life because you're giving me a new one. She gives Jesus the perfume because she doesn't need it anymore. You see... In worship, we bring something to the Lord. We, we, we give Him a gift. We, we bring something to Him. We give Him our praise. We, we give Him our thanksgiving, our adoration. We give Him our confession. Our old life of sin and shame, we give to Him because He is making us into something new. Something new. Church, what is your gift to the Lord today? And tomorrow, when you step out your front door for work or to go to class or or to run the errands, what offering will you give him? Perhaps it's just a simple prayer of thanksgiving. God, I'm thankful. Or it's a note of gratitude or adoration in your journal. Or maybe your gift might be a a series of actions that you take, the way you treat the people you meet that day, because we give our bodies as living sacrifice. That's our spiritual act of worship. Or maybe you'll do something a little little more weird, like when no one is watching. (laughs) Or maybe when everyone's watching, that you'll sing a song as you leave your house, a gift to God, your gratitude and affection wrapped in a song. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound.
in your ear. Simon doesn't understand the woman's gift. The expert in worship didn't recognize true worship when it entered his living room. All he saw was a sinner. Verse 39 says, Simon said to himself, if this man Jesus, if, if, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon didn't see worship. He, he saw a sinner. And, and so Jesus tells him a story. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. And neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, Simon, which of them will love him more? The story is simple enough to understand. It's about two debtors, two. One owes three months' wages, the other about two years' worth of wages, but neither of them have the means to pay it back. But, but despite owing a, a, a different debt, that's what they have in, in common. They can't pay it back. They're both at the mercy of the moneylender. And here's the good news. Here is the gospel. The lender forgives both of their debts. The debts they had, they have no means to pay back. They're forgiven. The lender absorbs the cost. And that's what Jesus came to do. To release us from the burden of our sin. To forgive us our debts. To absorb the cost of our transgressions on the cross. And so Jesus asked the question to Simon, which of these two will love the money lender more? And, and he answers, well, I guess the one forgiven the greater debt. You see, herein lies the source of the woman's worship. Somehow she knew what Jesus was up to. Healing the broken, bestowing honor for shame, forgiving debts, restoring people to God. And somehow she knew what, what she needed most from Jesus was for him to do this work in her life. There was no denying her past. She knew she needed forgiveness for sin. She needed someone to absorb the cost. Someone with the power to restore her dignity and her status. To bring her to wholeness, not simply with other people, but with God, the God who made her and loves her. Those who are forgiven much, love much. But here's the kicker for Simon. The kicker for Simon is, is, is that, that Jesus isn't telling the story to really focus attention on the woman. <laughs> the point of Jesus' story isn't to tell Simon about a prostitute who's been saved by grace. Rather, it's to tell Simon that he's a religious man needing to be saved by that same grace. Remember, the story is about two sinners, not one. The story isn't so much about the woman as it is about Simon. Listen, verses 44 to 46, Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, and she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is listing all of these customs in his society that, that, that were, that were uh, intended to be done when you have a guest at your house, and to not do them is an insult. And Jesus is saying, look, Simon, you've sinned against me from the moment I stepped through the doorway. You didn't treat me with the respect our culture demands, but this woman you call sinner, she's made up for your sin. She's treated me with honor. You see, here is the secret to all of our worship. Here is the answer to Dr. Barry's question. Why should I worship God? Because I am a sinner unable to pay my own debt. But God has sent Jesus to pay that debt on my behalf. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Simon couldn't understand it because he didn't think he was a sinner. And I suspect Dr. Barry couldn't understand it because he didn't think he had a debt to pay either. But when you see your debt, when you feel its weight, when you see your failures before God, when, when you see your judgmental spirit, your arrogance, your greed, your lust, your mistakes, your brokenness, when you see them all in light of God's perfect holiness, you're standing on the threshold of worship. And when you see your inability to pay this debt, your, your utter helplessness to make right what you've done wrong before God, you're on the threshold of worship. And when you see Jesus take all of that debt, all of your debt, your shame, your brokenness, your sin, upon himself on the cross, you're stepping over the threshold of worship into the house of the Lord. And then when you throw yourself at his feet in unashamed gratefulness, when you give your whole self over to Jesus in thankful devotion, when you've crashed the dinner party, then you're awakened in the fullness of worship. A sinner saved by grace with a gift of gratitude for the one who saved you. That church is how we worship. It's why we worship. And anything less is simply empty religion. Mark Buchanan was the pastor of my church growing up. And, and, and Mark's an author. He's written some books. And, and he writes about a lady from the church that I was part of uh, growing up. And her name was Wanda. And Wanda struggled with alcoholism for most of her life. Uh, but... but there was a season where she experienced sobriety, and, and in that season, she, she encountered the radical love of Jesus through people in the church. She went through this Alpha project in a 12-step group, and, and she even got her kids back. Her life was turned around, completely turned around for a while. Then she didn't do so well for, for a season. She was in and out of rehab again, and, and then she vanished. She, she, she was no longer seen in the community for a long time. And about a year after that, Mark got a call from Wanda 
And she was sober, and she was finishing up a year of rehab in Vancouver. And, and Mark describes her first Sunday back in the sanctuary, back in church this way. He writes, I initially didn't recognize her. She looked healthy, dressed in her right mind. I was preaching on the ten lepers Jesus healed, and the one, a Samaritan, who returned to give thanks. I said that anyone who has been cleansed by Jesus, who wants to be made whole by him, worships at his feet in deep thankfulness, in utmost desperation. They have nowhere else they want to go. <laughs> and then to close, I reminded people that, that we have a tradition in our church. Anyone can come up to the front and pray with one of our prayer ministers. Well, Wanda came forward, but she didn't go to a prayer minister. <laughs> She walked straight up onto the platform between the guitarist and the drummer, and she stretched her hands heavenward. And she worshiped like one leper returning. A woman who didn't know her and who isn't on the prayer team walked up, put her arm around her, and worshiped too. And then you could hear it. All of us worshiped with deeper thankfulness out of great desperation. They worship. Picture of heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, there is no true worship without an encounter with you and your love. And so I pray, Jesus, in this moment, that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to our hearts what only you can reveal. And that is the deep and profound love of God for broken and sinful people like me, like us. You are the lover of our soul. And you're the lifter of our head. You're the redeemer of life. And I pray this morning, Jesus, that, that by your spirit, you would love us. You'd restore us. You'd make us whole. And you'd lead us into worship. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, by way of response, the worship team is going to play some music, and we just want to create some space for you to bring your gift to Jesus. What is the gift of worship that you want to bring to Jesus this morning? And you can sit in your seat quietly, you can stand, you can come forward. But let's take a moment as just the simple music plays and consider the love of God and the gift you have to bring Him because of His profound love.